We're in this summer schedule in which we're all together, and it's a good thing. Um, I love the fact that we're all in a shared time and space together, including our online congregation. Today our text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, 39 rather. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes is a village on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It was notorious in its day. Across from the Jewish villages on the western shore. As, as he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had, un, had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what's your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. The abyss in the time of Jesus uh, was understood to be the Sea of Galilee. The depth, it's one of the really, you know, very deep inland lakes. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter the, these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd, when the swine herd saw what had happened, these are the owners of the swine, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told then how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is about as graphic a story as we find in the, in the adventures of Jesus, his wandering around his teaching. It's an amazing story. Our preaching series this summer is based on the theme called Ordinary Time. The Apostle Paul said this about ordinary time. So here's what I want you to do. 
God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. So today we continue tagging along with Jesus. In some ways what we'll be doing is following Jesus in ordinary time, the ordinary events, the daily events that occurred with him, much in the same way that they occur with us. All this ordinariness, just to see what happens next. Our text tells us that he, he continued according to plan. There's some plan at work that the, the scriptural writer understands. He traveled from town to town, village after village, preaching God's kingdom, spreading the message, and then they got into a boat. See, all of that activity was taking place on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, where the Jewish villages were, and then they got on a boat. A boat. And they sailed across the lake to the Gerasenes. Now, when you're in Israel and you're standing on the western shoreline, you can see the eastern shoreline. It's a big lake, but it's there within view, and they can look at each other across the lake. And he stepped out onto land, and a madman from town met him. He was the victim of demons. This is the story. This is what happened to Jesus in his everyday, ordinary life. When he stepped onto the ground on the eastern side, he was on the wrong side of the lake. There's a religious split that takes place on both sides of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. He was on the eastern shore of the Galilee in the region called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. Decapolis is, is uh, Greek for the Ten Cities. They were ten villages that were scattered across the eastern side of the Galilee. Ten Roman communities segregating them, but in distant view from the Jewish villages on the western side. And traveling from village to village, the Jewish, in the Jewish communities, an observant Jew like Jesus and his disciples could pick up a good kosher meal for lunch and maintain a ritually observant Jewish life over on the western side. And when they got on the boat and went across the sea, they entered into a different place. It was a pagan. It was considered pagan. You could violate almost everything about your Judaism over on the eastern side. The, the rules about touch, the rules about food, the rules about almost everything were unknown. It was known as an unclean, unholy place where the Gentiles lived. These were cities that were made up primarily only of Gentiles. Anyone who's a non-Jew was a Gentile, by the way. One commentator described it this way, nothing was kosher. Everything was unclean. The spirits, the pigs, certainly the pigs, the whole territory was unclean and unholy. And Jesus risked contamination for the life of this one man, this encounter. When Jesus stepped forward and the guy stepped into his face, he was risking contamination. So what was this good Jewish boy doing on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee? This observant Jew who was a, a part of Jewish culture and religion and life. 
Jesus got out of his boat and was immediately face to face with the demoniac. This guy has no name. Even today he has no name. No home, no community, and lived in the graveyard in the place where the dead were buried. The city of the dead, we might say. Jesus didn't go into the middle of town. He didn't go find the the community gathering place or into the settled communities of the Decapolis. He didn't go any further. He landed in this liminal space. We talked last week in in the workshop that I do at noon about liminality, this liminal space. It's an in-between place. In-between and betwixt. It it is this, it's not this, and it's not that. It's sort of in this suspended something else kind of a space. The in-between place between town and country, between farmland and desert, between land and sea, and even between life and death in this place where they buried the dead. And Jesus asked this nameless guy his name. What some would say was an attempt to help this man locate his identity. And in working with people who have fragmented personalities, one of the first steps is for them to be able to understand who they are. Who are you? Might be asked. Something lost by those who have a fragmented mental state. Legion, the man said. Now, legion is a particular term. It's not a name, uh, not in a formal sense. It, it is the word, it's a Roman word for the massive number of Roman soldiers who maintain Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Legion can be anywhere from two to 4,000 soldiers. They keep the peace by oppression. I mean, there's kind of an irony about that. They keep the peace forcibly in the community, and they turn the native population to servants of a corrupt and terrifying presence. This is the worst of government we might think about. And we see people like this, like Legion, every day it seems. We're here in downtown Jefferson City. If you open up your eyes, you'll begin to see those in our community who live on the streets. Maybe you don't see them all compressed in one place like so many government workers that we have. All of us can see the demoniac in our cities in the way in which this story is told. They're not a part of the community, but they live in plain sight along the fringes, sometimes in the hidden places. Sometimes you have to go look for them. I was with a mission team in in San Antonio and we were downtown and one of our youth sponsors was a haircutter. And so we opened up in our little clinic, we opened up haircuts and she gave haircuts, professional haircuts to the homeless in downtown San Antonio. We were driving around in our little church van one day and there was a guy laying in a doorstep and she erupted and said, I know that guy, I gave him a haircut two days ago. And that's the way it works. They're they're there, but you have to pay attention to them. Walking aimlessly, someone like this might be of indeterminate age, but maybe prematurely elderly. Blotchy, leathery skin, perhaps. Some with a place to sleep, but they choose to live the daytime from dawn to dusk out on the streets. 
or out in the public places where they keep their few things in a shopping cart and where they look like they're waiting for something to happen. But for what? In modern thought, (coughs) pardon me, the demoniac would likely be considered someone who suffered from some disturbing form of mental illness. That's likely the first diagnosis we would give today. And the signs of mental illness in this story are very clear. Isolation from society, he would break the bonds, the chains, the shackles, and he would head off to some other place. In this particular place was in the cemetery. Homelessness, not a place to live. A distorted view of reality would be a symptom. And no sign of his family or really any sign of a community. Uh, Those who have let him go, they've just released him to the wilds. And when this man met Jesus, he was howling and injuring himself. In his day, they considered that he was demon-possessed. In a way in which antiquity, and this is antiquity, pre-science, pre-medicine, they would have... uh, we would have thought of him as being mentally ill. In our own day, when this happens, we would hope to treat him with psychiatry or psychotropic drugs, medications, to stabilize him, to stabilize the personality so that he might rediscover who who he is. That's the hope. That's the beginning stage, the step. And then we would hope someone in a caring ministry might step in and connect this person to what he or she needs. In my clinical work in San Antonio, I saw the full range of mental and emotional ailments. I saw a lot, just sort of the open door that people could come and bring their issues and their problems. One day a patient came in and he clearly had a fractured, uh, he had been fractured by his psychosis. And I spent an hour in a closed room with this guy. He told me a god-awful story of what he had done. And, and actually, it was fairly frightening for me to be in the room with him. There wasn't much ther- therapy to be done by me or for him. He clearly needed a psychiatrist who would either hospitalize him or oversee his treatment with mood-altering drugs. I didn't consider him demon-possessed, but likely in the first century, that would have been the diagnosis of the community. And thus, they would have separated themselves from him. No real hope of cure or treatment. I did what I could do by referring him to a psychiatrist. I don't know if he found one or not. That was beyond what I was able to do for him. He could have easily ended up like this sad man just wandering around. And that being said, there's a line that is drawn between sanity and and craziness. There are religious hermits in our society. They look a little goofy and a little weird and a little strange. They're driven to spending their lives out in the desert or out on the mountaintops and the airy places. And they're seeking spiritual connection they're still on the side of fully sane. They're seeking their own path. They're doing it in a way that most people would not do. But then there are those who have mental illness, and they're often found under bridges or shuffling around. Um, They shuffle around on sidewalks in our communities, uh, mostly downtown streets, drawn to the dark and shadowy places, dislocated from their families, 
meaningful work, adequate health care, and home. Again, when I was in San Antonio and I was pastoring a, a Baptist church there, a woman began attending our church. At first, I had little opportunity to talk with her as she usually came in late and then she would leave early. I could see her, but I didn't have a chance to speak to her. And for several weeks, that went on. And finally, she did hang around and caught me at the back door and gave me her hand and introduced herself. And what I learned from her was she lived in a group home about five or six blocks away, and she would shuffle down the street to come and join us for worship. She told me that she suffered from schizophrenia, an illness that had flattened her personality. In fact, the first several weeks she would come in and she would find a seat and the metronome motion of sitting there, she would just move back and forth. And if you sat behind her, you really had a hard time participating in worship because she was in your line of sight. So she learned she learned to sit toward the back where she could, she could exercise her psychic energy in a different way and it didn't bother people. Overall, she was quiet, she was non-emotive and she listened well. She didn't speak a lot. Occasionally at the back door, she would check in with me and she would say, Pastor, um, take all the emotion out of it. Pastor, I need you to pray for me the voices are speaking to me a lot this week. And she was just really honest about what she was facing. Bravely, she kept coming. Our members eventually calmed down and welcomed her to worship and offered their friendship. It was really quite amazing to see. One Sunday, when we were in worship planning, we decided we would take a risk and we would ask her to read scripture for us in worship. And it, when the moment came, she walked very resolutely, her head down, her face down. She moved up to the, the pulpit and she read brilliantly. It was amazing to hear her, hear this voice come out of her in the reading of scripture, she had rehearsed, she knew what she was doing. And that moment, the church just reveled in this woman who was in our midst. And the, and the jewel that she was in our community and how welcome she was. In the end, upon his healing, the man struggled to re-enter the community. He begged Jesus that he might go with Jesus, that he might leave this community on the, in the Gerasenes and to just go with Jesus and follow him around. And Jesus gave him a simple prescription. Go back and tell your community what great things God has done in your life. The demoniac was like an alcoholic who gets dry depriving everyone else in the family of their scapegoat. Suddenly, everyone is in an uproar because the family drunk is unwilling to bear all the negative family emotional energy. Let's give it up for the demoniac today because of his courage in stake is nothing less than breathtaking. The willingness of this healed person, this reconstituted personality 
of coming together and finding a way to stay in the community that he had rejected, that had rejected him. Ours is not a retreat from the world in our faith, taking us out of the brokenness of the world. We are not allowed to just step away from things. Sometimes we're in the context of needs that actually take place. They're not the big joyous kind of needs to meet. They're very difficult. It is rather the marvelous gift of freedom from possession by the evil powers of the world. Precisely so we can offer a voice of peace and hope to the world. In our baptism, we renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, as well as the evil powers of this world, which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. Together, we as a baptized body of, of believers, together because we can't do it alone, we must refuse with all of our might to collaborate with structures of evil so that the insane will not be the only ones to speak out. And what is more, so that there will be no need for insane people at all. In renouncing evil, we must renounce our need for scapegoats as well until all God's children know the dignity and joy for which they were created. Jesus' prescription to the man might be our prescription as well. Return to your home, your community, and declare how much God has done for you. Amen.